I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Tyler, and you're in for another great episode. So, public speaking, consistently voted as one of the most feared things in the world. Sometimes it's ranked even higher than snakes or spiders or any creatures you could think of. Why are people so scared? It's because, frankly, a lot of them don't know what to say. They don't know how to prepare for such situations that require speeches. That's where today's guest comes in. She teaches people how to speak spontaneously. Uh, As someone who speaks about once a week, which all boils down to about 52 to 53 speeches a year. I can tell you speaking in front of audiences and getting your messages in front of people is one of the most fulfilling things you can do because it's also a way to build a movement and to spread an idea that you believe in. And so my hope is that as you take today's uh, episode with a grain of salt, you, you begin to see how you can apply that to your life. And you know, for those that are always looking to build a speaking career, I'm, I'm, I'm always happy to, to share notes and please definitely get the book that she wrote. Enjoy the episode. In a world where very few people embrace their global identity and seek to understand their neighbors, cross-cultural expert Tayo Roxon is on a mission to bridge this divide. Each week, he'll open your mind with insights from some of the global minds in the world. Get ready, take some notes, and learn how to be the best you that you can be. Welcome everybody to another episode of As Told by Nomads. Today I'm interviewing Judith Humphrey. She's the founder of the Humphrey Group, a premier leadership communications firm. Now she's a communications expert whose business teaches global clients how to communicate as confident and compelling leaders. She's also the author of three books, Speaking as a Leader, Taking the Stage, and book that I will be talking about today, Impromptu, Leading in the Moment. Welcome to the show, Judith. Thank you so much. Great to be with you. Pleasure is mine. And so I have a lot to talk to you about since I also am in communications and we, we I guess I speak a lot and you are someone that has done that for years and you've seen some of the do's and the don'ts. But before I get into that, can you give us a background about who you are, what your early life was like and what got you? Um, down this path of helping people to be better communicators? Absolutely. I've been in communications all my life, and I think it started out because I was in a very large family. We had five girls, and I was quite shy, so I had uh, a sense that my voice wasn't being heard. And I think that was a compelling reason for me to go into communications uh, and I have spent my life in communications so that my voice can be heard and I can help others have their voices heard as well. Wow. wow. So now, obviously, I, um, it was a moment of pain. You turned into something of an opportunity. And I love those type of moments. But, you know, 
if I'm even going back deeper into those moments of your life, I think communicating is one of the best things that we can do for ourselves. But especially as a child, at least for me when I was a kid, learning that I was able to be seen, heard, and understood was one of the things that took me a while to understand. So I'm very fascinated by the idea that you sort of figured that out at a young age, even though I'm even when you were so young, because a lot of times we're looking for ways to just be, you know, be the heroes of our own story. So how did you sort of, um, you know, see like, okay, this is, this is going to be me and this is how I'm going to turn this into a career? Well, it's fascinating when, when I reflect back on little Judith, I, I began to think that what happened was that I had episodes in my very youthful experience when I would speak to someone and they would turn away or they would not acknowledge me. I remember someone, uh, an older man in church, uh, he asked me, how was I? I started to explain to him and his head turned. And I thought, this isn't the way it should be. (laughs) (laughs) So it wasn't until I actually was 12 and started playing the violin that I really found my voice, found a way to express myself in front of others. And it was a brilliant and wonderful time for me because I loved the violin. I loved playing for audiences. And I discovered my voice through the violin. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. You did build a music career before you, you, know, you really dove into these books. And uh-huh. with music, was communication key for you as well? Oh, it was. I mean, I loved being able to play in front of others, having them be moved by what I was saying musically. And it gave me a real sense that I could reach the world and say something to the world. It was just a lovely time in my life. And I think it was at that point that I decided I was always going to be in communications. No, I I remember when we talked earlier, you were talking about music, and I, I was saying, you know, music is one of those great universal connectors, right? There's sports, there's music, um, there's food. And, you know, that ability to use that to connect across cultures is something that I've always um, been I'm curious about. But, um, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's no different, really, when you, you train an executive to speak in front of an audience. That if, if he or she is doing it correctly, it's just like playing an instrument because you're reaching an audience, you're expressing yourself through this instrument, whether it's a speech or a violin, and it's all the same thing. Communicating and reaching others is really universal, as you say. Yeah, no, it is 100%. And, um, you know, sometimes uh, musicians will tell you or artists will tell you, you know, I went to this country, Lithuania, and I, I was in Vietnam. And, you know, they don't speak English, but they know every word, all the words to my song. Or, yes. or they, they know all the, all the moves to my dance. You know, it's like yeah, they, you know, they took the time to figure that out. And they're always fascinated by that. And I think it's just one of those things that um, music does. So let's talk about... Oh, go ahead. Did you want to say something? No, no, that's it. So this this book that you have, which is amazingly titled, by the way, Impromptu, it's... You talk about the ability to speak on the spot with eloquence and confidence. And that's often seen as some of this... You know, seen as a natural talent for born leaders. But you're saying that this is a skill that can be learned. How can we learn how to speak on the spot with eloquence and confidence? Well, first of all, we have to think of speaking on the spot uh, in an eloquent way as being very different from winging it. 
we think of impromptu speaking as the same thing as winging it. But winging it is just speaking without actually thinking. And so much can go wrong if we wing it. Right. So the, the starting point of, of thinking about impromptu speaking uh, as a form of eloquence is to think of it as something that we need to prepare to be good at. Well, then that's the thing. I'm thinking of how can you prepare to be good at it if it's <laughs> going to be spontaneous? Uh, because a lot of people, I know. yeah, like networking event, for example, like you just in there or you just meet someone on, on a train or, you know, what do you do that? Yeah. So to prepare to be spontaneous or successfully spontaneous, you first really have to know what you're talking about. So you have to know your material, you know your subject matter. Then you have to be able to read your audience, read that person on the train and think, where is that person coming from? Uh, what can I say of importance to that individual? How can I reach that individual? So you have to read the audience and mm. ask yourself those questions. Yeah, yeah. So reading the audience and asking yourself those questions. So that means like, uh, you have to get better at observing people and sort of picking on those cues? Yeah, yeah, being attuned to what they're thinking, where they're coming from. If it's a large group, who, who in the room are you really talking to? You can't talk to everyone equally. So target your communications to the person or people you want to reach. Uh, all of that is part of reading the audience. It's very important for impromptu speaking. Wow. Now, this is, I'm getting geek. This is stuff that I geek out about because the power of observation is something that uh, people that grew up in, in diplomatic families like mine was something that, that I had to notice. I know I would always ask my dad how he sort of, Forge those relationships with people from different backgrounds and different cultures and his colleagues that were going to be there internationally, locally. And one of the first things he always learned to do was just to sort of observe his surroundings, observe what makes people smile, mm -hmm. frown, and flock together, and then sort of find that um, that common ground and then build off of it. Now, if exactly. I'm, now this is this is fascinating because if you if you're talking about this in a train. Are you saying something as, as as simple as noticing someone is wearing a blue uh, watch or a navy suit or a white shirt, or hey, you're reading a book on an art, you know, that you might have heard about, is a great way to start a conversation? Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, there's a, a template in my book, Impromptu, that helps will help readers organize their thoughts in impromptu situations. So. The starting point of that template, the first component, is to reach out and say something about the other person. Mm. So you start mm. by really talking to the person about themselves. You know, that's a great watch you have, or I love what you just said. You know, you start a, an impromptu speech with the other person. Then you move right to your message. What is the point you want to make? And then you... The third element is some proof points, so some elaboration of your message. Yeah. And then you close with action. What kind of action do you want? If you're with that person in the train, then are you going to go for coffee? Are you going to continue the discussion? What is the action you want? So th that's really the template for organizing one's impromptu script. Absolutely. So we're talking to Judith Humphrey here, the founder of Impromptu, and the template that she just mentioned. I believe you call that the scripting template, right? So where you script yes. yourself on any occasion. And the first thing you, you said you do is to, I think it's the grabber. Is you, you have something that mm -hmm. sort of grabs the attention. So Yes. Okay. Uh, and then the second thing is you, you get to the point. 
Yes. And then, then you find proof points to prove your message, sort of, and then you have the call to action. So if what that looks like in, in any situation is what is something you can use to grab an attention? That could be something you notice. That could be a story. That could be an event. That could be something that is about that person you're trying to talk to. And or then, a previous conversation you've had with that person. There you go. There you go. Okay. Wow. Okay. And as you were doing research for this, obviously, I'm, you're prolific speak, uh, speaking. You're right. You've helped people um, become better speakers, and you've you've taken you wrote a book called Taking a Stage. What did you uh, draw on from the past of your observation skills? Because part of speaking can be on the stage as well, where maybe yes. a, a message doesn't go well, and you're like, oh, well, they gotta, I gotta just lead in a moment. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, there's a lot that's similar between speaking in the moment and and speaking in a prepared, scripted way. And what they have in common is that whenever you speak, whether it's impromptu or behind a podium, you want to have a clear message. You want to develop that message. You want people to act on that message. If you do all those things, then you're really leading and inspiring and influencing, motivating. And so everything we teach, whether it's formal speaking or off-the-cuff speaking, um, is geared to this template we've just been talking about. Having a point of view, after you grab the audience, express your idea, then develop your idea, and then call for action, which is really turning your idea into behavior. And, and that's, you know, it's so funny that you said that because that's basically the same script for any occasion. It's, you know, you got to have a, a message, essentially, an idea, one idea, um, something that sort of backs that idea up and then that call to action. So if you're on stage, say, I don't know, your PowerPoint didn't work or you, you <laughs> sort of know you have an, an hour keynote to give a good way to sort of rehearse for yourself is like to remind yourself, oh, what is the message of what I'm trying to deliver? You know, what are those proof points? And then um, what is the call to action? I can sort of on the spot create something around that instantly if I know intimately what the message, proof points, and call to action are. Absolutely. And, you know, the interesting thing you mentioned, PowerPoint, I have a chapter in the book on what happens when you're going to be giving a 30-minute PowerPoint presentation and suddenly, let's say your boss says, I only have five minutes. So how do you scale that back? And you just take the essence of that template we've been talking about and just deliver that so again it's the grabber it's the message it's the proof points and the calls to action you can do that in 30 seconds or a minute yeah scale back a powerpoint presentation yeah yeah you see you hear that so anyone if, if you're on stage and you had to give an hour keynote but someone went over too long and then yours is now 45 <laughs> minutes and then someone else went over too long and then the other person now 30 minutes these are the things that can help you figure out what to cut um so okay uh, I want to move on on the on the on the, to the stage element here. We just talked about mm -hmm. that, but what about the audience? Actually, how do you instantly read any audience of any size anywhere? Well, of course, the reading of an audience starts before you're in front of them. Mm. So you want to read your audience before you talk to them, while you're talking to them, and following the talk. You read them in advance by really sizing them up, thinking who's going to be in the room. Who am I really talking to? Why am I talking to them? Why would they want to hear me? And what can I say that will get through to them, that, that will influence them? And those are all the questions you want to have in your mind and reflect on before you 
go to the event or before you even prepare your script. Now, when you're in the room, you're talking to them. Constantly look at them. Read their body language. See whether they get you. See whether they understand you, whether they're with you. If they're not, you got to change gears. you got to mix it up. Uh, maybe ask them a question if it's a small group. If it's a large group, um, maybe slow down. Maybe ask some rhetorical questions. Create a sense of dialogue so that you can really understand where they're coming from. Make it more interactive. And, of course, when you finish, then you say to yourself, hmm, did I reach them? Were they with me? If yes, great. If not, why? So reading the audience is a constant process. Yeah. Yeah, and it's one that doesn't stop, right? Because you said it also happens even after the speech. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people don't think about that. They don't think, "Wow, did I did I make my point? Did it did it resonate with my audience?" Um, and, and unless you ask yourself those questions, you'll never be better the next time. Mm. Okay. Well, now can you give me an example of what that looks like after the speech? Is that taking feedback, or what is what exactly? Sometimes it's feedback, you know, sometimes in in a presentation you'll you'll actually get audience feedback. Sometimes you'll you'll have people come up afterward and ask you questions and I'll tell you there's there's a individual a, a high level executive who told me a story where he he went through a whole presentation, a whole PowerPoint presentation to his team and he only realized at the end that they didn't get it. He was actually offering them um, sh- shares in the company or the opportunity to buy shares in the company. Um, but oh, they wow. didn't get it. Wow. And it, the, wow. at the end, he realized, well, they didn't even understand what that meant, what I was really offering them. And so he was very concerned that he hadn't reached the audience. And I think you can reflect on an event and say, wow, were they moved? Were they motivated? Did they like it? Did they clap a lot? Uh, or were they quite cool? And if you, if you say to yourself, wow, they were really cool, um, then you have to ask yourself, what did I do wrong? What could I be better at next time? And I think, you know, it often leads a speaker to say, well, gee, maybe I should have done some research in advance. Maybe I should have asked some questions in advance. You know what I mean? To yeah. listen to harder yeah. before speaking. Yeah. No, I, I, this is so amazing because I love that you're doing that. There are a lot of people here that listen to the show who are, you know, change makers, who are people that want to really, like, be able to sell a new idea, convince people to to get into a movement, or really inspire um, uh, people to just take action, right? Ultimately, because something's yeah. so important. And, you know, I always say as a speaker, one of the things that you want to do is, you want to help people get from the status quo to something else, right? You want to show people. And then yeah. at the same time in the speech, you also want to make them understand the consequences of them not taking that type of action. Now, Exactly. Yeah? You know, there's one example that I think your audience would be interested in. Please. As you were speaking, I, I, I thought of sales situations. And, you know, you want, and we're always selling. We're always selling our ideas. But when you go to a client situation, um, very often – it's tempting just to deliver a presentation to walk people through a book of slides. And there was one individual, one senior executive who who, uh, told me that he'll walk into a client meeting 
with the book, you know, the book of slides, and he'll say to them, you know, I could really walk you through this set of slides, but I'd rather have a conversation with you. So tell me what you're thinking now. So he'll actually elicit audience feedback in the moment. And instead of walking them through this PowerPoint presentation, he'll actually engage them in a conversation. And that will produce much more business, he said, than as though he just talked at them. Yeah, yeah. That is so true. You know, people don't even think about just having conversations. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Conversations with people. Um, so one, I don't know, uh, can you correct me if, I, if I, what I'm doing here is wrong? Because sometimes I just actually had a, a bunch of speaking engagements uh, last week. And a lot of times what I do is I always like to go there early, but I always like to have conversations with audience members way before. And just because I'm a friendly person, I'm just like, hey, you know. And but I found that sometimes I'm on stage. This is completely impromptu. Ha! Name of the book there. Um, but I, I will just somehow randomly bring up an example of someone that I heard. Like you know, when it was like, hey, so you know, when I was talking to to Janice over there, you know, this is on the, This is actually how it happens. So I just find a way to sort of fit into the story, and it's not planned. Yeah. I've noticed that has happened. I, that's not my intention when I'm talking to people. I'm just trying to warm the audience up for. The idea, um, you know, but, I, you know. but they warm you up, right? Because yeah. when you talk to them, you you get to know them, you get to feel what they're thinking and feeling about you, and it produces a great grabber for you, right? Exactly. You know, it does. It also, you know, in a weird way, it calms my nerves down. Mm-hmm. Not that I, mm-hmm. yeah, because it depends. So sometimes, even if I'm not nervous, I just feel like it's always a good thing to build rapport with the the people you're about to speak to. Um, it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, it become much to, more real. Yeah, I just wanted to check that because you know sometimes people can say I, I don't know I don't know if I was being too friendly or not. I was like I was like I just want to build rapport. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's you good. can't be too friendly. Okay. Well, this you is know, I think the I think the stage fright that we often experience, even in impromptu situations, comes when we feel that distance with our audience. So if you can actually close that gap and really start talking to them before you go on stage, um, you're going to be much more comfortable and you're going to know much more about them and, and obviously be able to communicate in a much more uh, intimate way than you could if if it was us and them that is a barrier between you and your audience. Yeah, that's so, that's so true. Okay. Now, then, uh, you, someone, like I said, has studied communication. You study speeches. Are there people in the past and throughout history that uh, have given great impromptu speech and uh, speeches? And if so, what lessons did you learn from them? 
there were a lot of people who gave great impromptu speeches. I mean, Mark Twain was a great impromptu speaker. Winston Churchill was. Uh, Bobby Kennedy and his eulogy to Martin Luther King was fantastic. And, and the thing that the great impromptu speakers have in common is that they're prepared. <laughs> Again, as ironic as that may seem, they work very hard to be good impromptu speakers. So uh, Churchill, for example, very early in his career in the House of Parliament, he, he collapsed. He went to speak impromptu, and he totally blew it. He, he his mind went blank. And he was so embarrassed by that incident that ever after that, he prepared all his spontaneous remarks. By that I mean prepared those remarks that he wanted to appear spontaneous. Um, and so he became a great speaker by um, preparing everything, including his spontaneous remarks. And the famous story that so many people know is that when he was going to an event where he was going to be the luncheon speaker, um, his chauffeur came around to open the door uh, to the car so Churchill could get out. And Churchill said, one moment, please. I haven't quite finished preparing my extemporaneous remarks. He spent his whole life preparing his spontaneous remarks. So he's a brilliant speaker. Um, wow. Bobby Kennedy wrote that great eulogy to Martin Luther King. He wrote that spontaneously, um, just in a very short period of time, actually from the Indianapolis airport to the downtown event where he spoke in Indianapolis. Um, it was a brilliant tribute to Martin Luther King. He was prepared because he had all that insight in his mind. He had all that knowledge of what Martin Luther King had done that vision of his success and his impact. And he brought that forward in his remarks, his eulogy to Martin Luther King. Yeah. Wow. So, ladies and gentlemen, anyone listening, thinking about being a voice, thinking about being a speaker, uh, a lot of times I always have people have at least one of their has uh, have at least a signature speech ready. But before you go to bed, whenever you wake up, I think it's always good to have your points rehearsed. You know, like, what are, you, what are your three step-by-step process? What is the intro that you would say if you had an opportunity to speak right now? What's the close? And just workshop that idea every time in the shower, whenever you go. And I find that that just gives you um, just a, a further clarity into your message and allows you to adapt quickly because if you're really intimate with what you want to be able to say one day if you get hired, um, you, you step up to the plate because you're like, oh, I've been saying this for much of my life. It's much like it's like going to the gym, you know, you you got to go there repeatedly to eventually work a muscle, and that muscle grows. But you got to workshop that idea, and it, your your speech is not just something that you work on when you get hired. It's something that you work on essentially, ideally, for much more uh, than uh, moments when you get hired. It's something you work on in your life, something you work on with your kids or your wife or your husband, and you just put it in rehearsal. Even now on on a podcast here, there's some elements of my speeches that I'm working out on. A lot of communicating <laughs> across cultures, but it's, it's it's understanding how to test your ideas spontaneously. Yeah, and I like your idea that this can be this technique can be applied not only in business but in the community in our families. And I'll give you an example. Uh, I was dating my husband or the person that became my husband, and I decided one night that it was about time we got married. <laughs> 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 so, 
I scripted myself I- impromptu. I mean, I, I collected my thoughts. I thought, how can I make my best case for uh, this proposal? And uh, so I went to him. We were living together at the time, and I, and I gave him my pitch. And this was planned, but it was something that came across as spontaneous. I, I said, um, I'd like to speak to you about something that's important to me. So that was my grabber. Then I got to, right to my point. So I think we should get married. <laughs> then I gave him several reasons why I thought we should. You know, we were both academics. We both loved ideas. We, I laughed at his jokes. <laughs> and he was taking good care of me. So those are my proof points. And so I then I, my call to action was, so um, I'd love to have you propose to me. Wow. I, I'll give you two days to decide. <laughs> oh, my goodness. This is great. This is great. And you know what? He came the next day. He proposed to me. And we've been married for 45 years. Isn't that incredible? It is incredible. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you just heard out of the proposed to right now here. So if you ever have that moment, that partner that is just not stepping up to the plate, be spontaneous. <laughs> And you get there. Oh, sorry. I don't know what I, I don't even know what voice I was doing. <laughs> well, I mean, the power of impromptu, right? Yeah. If, if I hadn't rehearsed that, if I hadn't gotten it right, um, I might have said dumb things like, you know, we've been together for a year and you haven't done a thing for me. And I'm going to walk out of here unless you take some action. You know, that wouldn't have worked. So <laughs> here's the case of, an example of how important it is to prepare your spontaneous thoughts so you really sound eloquent, sound persuasive, and really inspire. Yeah, absolutely. And um, we're talking to Judith Humphrey here. Her book is called Impromptu Leading in the Moment. So it's definitely something you want to grab onto if you want to learn how to speak effectively in any situation. And essentially, if you want to prepare to be spontaneous. So, and she's obviously been sharing some of those tips here and, um, you know, it's it's we've talked about tips for rapidly collecting um, your thoughts, uh, creating a persuasive message, um, how to essentially read an audience anywhere, any size, anytime. You know, how to toss your index cards to get better at recognizing um, you, what it is you want to say and get your true message. We haven't talked about body language, though. How do you master your body language um, by, you know, and physical presence as a leader? Well, first of all. Prepare yourself to be physically engaging. And by that I mean you can start today because preparation happens anytime you're talking. You can think about your body language, work toward more confident presence. And the things to to look at um, are posture. So if you're sitting, you want to sit tall in your seat. If you're standing, you want to stand tall. You want to show that presence, that stature that comes from standing or sitting tall. You want to make sure that your arms are open and not folded, not closed, or your hands aren't closed or folded. Keep your arms open and gesture in the direction of the person you're talking to or the audience you're talking to. Mm. Uh, so reach out to the audience. Your arms allow you to do that. Um, in terms of eye contact, it's very important to look people in the eye when you're talking to them. And actually look people in the eye when they're talking to you. So constantly maintain eye contact. I mean, there are moments when you look down. Of course, you don't want absolutely 100% eye contact. 
but you want to show them that you're listening with your eyes. Very powerful message that you send through your eyes. You also want to have a warm expression on your face. You don't want your face down or turned away. You want your face to be looking directly at your audience, at the person you're talking to. And you want to have a nice expressiveness in your face so that you show that you're taking in what they're saying and you really care about them. Those are some of the body language signs to send to your audience in wow. these images. No, that, 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 is, that is so powerful because especially, you know, you gesturing in the direction of uh, the person you're talking to. I think that's, yeah, I mean, that's something overlooked. I'm someone that uses hand gestures. I'm very expressive. But mm-hmm. I think sometimes there can be an effectiveness, especially if you're on stage. You know, it's, sometimes it's difficult to figure out who to focus on, <laughs> essentially. But um, would you say, you know, finding maybe a section of the audience or a person in the audience to say, this is why you really should vote for such and such, and you point at someone. Do you think that that's the best way to do it, or should you just point at, like, the sky or something? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, th- I think it depends on the audience. So if you're talking to... One person, you you probably will be gesturing to that person with both arms or with the upper arms. Um, so you don't want huge gestures if you're talking to one person. If you're talking to a larger audience, let's say a room full of people, a meeting room full of people, you you think about your arms as extensions of yourself. So mm-hmm. you can gesture in, in a way that encompasses the whole audience. Or you can do one gesture. The interesting thing about gestures that you want to, that your audience will want to think about, is your gestures should always come with the full arm. You know, some people have short gestures from the wrist, and those are very mincing. Those are small and inconsequential gestures. So never gesture from your wrist. Uh, if you imagine gesturing from your wrist, these are kind of little flyaway gestures that are, as I say, inconsequential. Nor should you gesture from your elbow because a lot of people will do that and they'll lock their elbows into their body and then it'll be just gesturing from the elbows and they look very weak. The whole thing is to keep your arms loose and in a sense gesture from uh, your full arm, so from your shoulder, so that you're reaching, always reaching out to your audience. And even if they're not huge gestures, they're at least full arm gestures. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? No, that that's such a great distinction. That that wrist thin and the full arm uh, junction um, gesture, rather. I think that was such an important distinction on your part, so because a lot of times people miss. That I've been guilty of that multiple times, especially with that wrist. In. And then um, it doesn't feel as powerful. You're right. Not yeah. Anybody. Just imagine you're holding a beach ball and then let the beach ball go. And your arms are in a position to be effective as gestures. You know, they're rounded. They're reaching out to the audience. And so you mentioned earlier about pointing. I wouldn't point, and I'm not sure you meant that literally. No, no, I mean, I, I was being, you know, I was giving an example. But, yeah, pointing is something I see people do. And I actually, I would say that I've done that in the past. So I want to know, I'm actually learning from you right here. So mm-hmm. in terms of pointing, tell me, yeah, tell us why it's bad. I wouldn't point because it can very easily appear to be negative. Mm. You point to somebody, and if you point 
with a hard gesture, you're essentially being critical. Like if you say, if you point to a child and you say, don't do that anymore, you know what I mean? Essentially, that's the message you're sending to the audience. Yeah, no, no, that makes sense. Makes sense, makes sense, makes sense. And don't don't have um, closed uh, hand gestures. Like some people will, will close their hands almost as a fist. They make fists in front of the audience. You don't want to do that. We do that because we're nervous. We're not conscious of what we're doing. But again, the open arms, open hands are very, very important because they suggest openness uh, of the speaker, the receptivity of the speaker to the audience, the desire to connect with the audience. So just think open gestures. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was like what, with your palm open or mm-hmm. all that. And, and I do that quite often. That's what I do most of the time. And so, you know, whether I'm like waving or my hand is like that, for sure. Um, okay. Yeah. I'm feeling, feeling comfortable good. with this. Yeah, you're a good speaker. I've seen you. Oh, <laughs> you're far too kind. You're far too Head kind. Talk. Uh, well, thank you. Um, but um, okay, so as, as we get ready to, to wrap up here, I want, to, I want you to talk to um, that that person right now who has a yearning to do something significant in the world, but feels like they haven't found their authentic voice as a leader. Yeah, and, you know, the things that are going through his or her mind are like, why does my voice matter? Other people are doing this already. What is the point? There's already too much negativity there. Well, how can you help that person? Well, I was in that situation myself. In my career, I've had a lot of different jobs and different uh, pursuits over the course of my career. And I was at a point in my life when I was a speechwriter for executives. I was, I had a corporate job and a series of corporate jobs as a speechwriter. And I said to myself, there must be something more than this. <laughs> and I kept thinking, it took me about three years to figure out what to do, but I knew that life held so many more opportunities for me. Uh, I was a seasoned communicator. I began to see that executives needed the kind of training that I could provide. Not only the executives I was writing for, but many other executives. So I decided to start the Humphrey Group. And I think the message here for anybody who wants to do more, you know, anybody who has a dream of doing more, is take the step to do it. We have only one life and one opportunity in life to do something bold. And I think that boldness is inside all of us. In some people it may not be so strongly felt, but we all have the opportunity to create something out of ourselves that didn't exist before. And... I found in creating the Humphrey Group, I'm inspired by entrepreneurship and by the ability to create anything that, that wasn't there before we created it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've, we, through the company, I've, we've been able to reach hundreds of thousands of people around the world. I mean, half a million women have taken our program for women called Taking the Stage. Half a million women that wouldn't have had that wow. program if I hadn't started the company. And look at today, you and I are talking about something that's so important, how people can be strong, impromptu speakers. So all of that was because I created the company. I would say, go for it. 
don't wait. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I mean, if not us, then who? If not now, then when? That's uh, it's a statement that I always say often. And, and thank you for being that amazing force, that amazing presence, you know, holding space for all these women, you know, nearly half a million women. I can't imagine you know, how much how much better their lives were just because of you awakening something in them. And you, you, don't, you don't only just do it with your voice, you do it um, through text with your books, you know, you do it through consulting with your coaching. And, um, you know, you're someone that, you know, uh, as, uh, as being able to, you know, walk the talk. So thank you so much for, you know, spending some time with us here today. My pleasure, Tao. It's been a great conversation. Ah, thank you so much. Where can people find your book? Where can people find your books? Oh, well, they can go to my website, judithhumphrey.com and purchase the book through that, or they can go to Amazon and buy the book on Amazon. All right. Uh, impromptu, sure. leading in the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, you know, spontaneously we'll all get to that website. <laughs> and then, yeah. and, and then we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll, buy, we'll buy the book. I'll make sure I put all this in the show notes, but I can't let you go without asking you an admission statement. You touched on it there a little bit when you're giving advice to that person that wanted to find their authentic voice. But how do you specifically uh, use your difference to make a difference? How do I use my difference to make a difference? I think uh, it's been real largely through the company, uh, through building the company. We have uh, 60 instructors who are all over the world teaching people how to speak as leaders. Um, so I, I'm very privileged to be in a situation where many other people are doing the work that I began. I'm just so inspired by what they're doing today in the Humphrey Group. Go to the Humphrey Group site. Go to the Humphrey Group site. We'll <laughs> definitely make sure we give people access to that. So um, I want to thank you once again, Judith, uh, for coming on the show. This has been this has been good. This has been good. Um, you know, I always love hearing um, tips from other communicators, and uh, you definitely over delivered today. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Teo. It's been a lot of fun. All right. We'll talk. Talk soon. The pleasure is mine, ladies and gentlemen. Till next time. Use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.